Okay. So welcome everybody. Um, I'm here for the Wellness Wednesday put on by Balance Wellbeing. Delighted to be here. And today is all about befriending illness. This is an area that has, ironically enough, been near and dear to me for a long time. I gave a number of talks earlier this year on death and dying for the uh, Death Doula Network of BC, um, for the um, Cystic Fibrosis Organization in Alberta. And ironically, uh, I started to have problems of my own, always feeling very hale and hearty, and all of a sudden having problems with chest pain and problems breathing. So off I go to the hospital and I get diagnosed with a very interesting condition called sarcoidosis. Trust me to get something weird and hard to pronounce and rare. So sarcoidosis creates little granulomas in the body, in my case, around my heart area, and they can interfere with your body functions. So for me, it was chest pain and trouble breathing. Um, it's a very interesting condition because it can either be a case of a lot of people, 60% recover with no treatment at all, and you don't get cured, you just go into remission and they go into remission for the rest of their lives. Other people need ongoing care and it can destroy all your organs and kill you. So... <laughs> So with me, I'm fortunate so far that I all I have to do is use an inhaler and it is controllable. Um, but it's been such a wonderful teacher. Um, for those of you who are aware of what I've talked about before when it comes to illness, and I've worked with people who have terminal um, diagnoses, I've worked with them, I've worked with their family members, sometimes I am with them in hospice to their very last breath. And my philosophy is, we're all going to die. So it's not about how can I live as long as possible? It's what am I doing while I'm here in this body on this planet? What am I doing to become more conscious, to use this opportunity to grow? So that's how I look at life, at illness. But when I got my diagnosis, a friend of mine said, you've got to fight this. And that immediately rang wrong for me. I thought, well, I don't really want to fight this because being combative just doesn't feel like a very spiritual approach to things. Um, and it feels like fighting with my own body. Now, our body is an energy field. And in fact, you know, the physical body is just the slowest moving part of the field. We exist in layers. We have the outer etheric layers. We have the emotional layers. Uh, we have the energy matrix on which the tissues and bones are built. So everything filters from the outside in. So if we have fears, limiting beliefs, anything that's holding us back, if we don't deal with that at the emotional level, if we suppress it, it's eventually going to show up in physical form. Or if we're simply not conscious of it, it's going to eventually manifest physically. It might be an injury. It might be an illness. It might be something going on in your life that suddenly pulls you up short to say, hey, you got to deal with this. <laughs> and what I came to realize, and I'll get into how I got into this technique is that 
my symptoms are worse if I have fear or anger. So it's a, it's like a little alarm clock. I kind of feel like Iron Man. I got this like ticking thing in my chest that could blow up on me, but it lets me know when I'm off balance because immediately I'll feel chest pain. Even though I'm taking medication for it, I will feel pain if I'm fearful or if I'm angry. So it's my mechanism that tells me you're not centered. You need to get back to center. You need to slow down your breathing. You need to be calmer. So that all being said, when I am looking at illness and its expression, I see it as something that's there to help us. If you, if you have the philosophy that everything that happens on our path is absolutely designed to help us. The universe is always trying to give us signals and information. And there's one expression that first you get a message, then you get a warning, then you get an event. So a message, just to give you a really broad example, might be that you're rushing around, there's something you're supposed to be checking in on yourself internally, and you stub your toe. But maybe you were really busy and you didn't pay attention to that. So you continue to rush through your life and you sprain your ankle. But maybe you're still not paying attention. So you wrap up your ankle and you keep going and then you break your leg. And now you're laid up and you're having to deal with your internal stuff because you can't run around anymore. Ideally, we want to pick up on the messages first. Realistically, we often don't. And our society has kind of set us up for that because our society focuses on intellect, on performance, on efficiency. So it's all about get it done, get it done as quickly as you can and figure it out, which is the opposite sometimes of what our intuition would say, where it would say, slow down, breathe, drink some water. Take your time, sit quietly so that your actions are informed by your intuition. We have to have that quiet time to listen to our intuition and act on it. Otherwise, our actions, there's a lot of wasted energy there because we're just trying stuff without knowing for sure it's the right action to take. So ideally, we want to listen to ourselves and we need to slow down to do so. But we live in a society that says, don't just sit there, do something. And it should be the opposite. Don't just do something, sit. Sit until you know and then act. So illness is often your body's way of forcing you to sit still. I've encountered so many people who've been felled by cancer, brain injury, other conditions, and Oftentimes, I see these were people who put out 150%, were stoic, often denying their own needs, always putting other people before themselves. And while that seems laudable, you can't give water from a dry well. Eventually, your boat's going to sink. It's going to be too many holes in it from too much energy going out and not enough coming back. So to stay afloat, we have to take care of ourselves. And if we're not listening, our bodies are going to teach us how to do just that. And I've worked with people who've 
passed away from their illnesses. And I said to them, you know, we're all going to go. It's not about whether or not you recover from the illness. It's what is it trying to teach you? And when you leave this world, will you have learned from that condition? Or will you have to wait for your next round in human form or whatever form you take to learn this? Here's your opportunity. Here's your teacher. This is the time to do this work. What better time than when you're not being allowed to do the things you would normally do? So illness does place certain limitations on us. If we're immune compromised in the current world, we may not be able to circulate as much as the average person. We may not have as strong a response to the vaccine as somebody with a healthier immune system. So that just means we have to take more care. Again, we have to be more mindful. So you can see how illness gives us that opportunity. And the other thing that I like to think about in terms of that mindfulness is for me, it was a major wake up call. I've always considered myself a pretty healthy person. I've never needed a lot of sleep or so I thought. I can go all day, tons of energy. And that's the interesting thing is until I suddenly had chest pains that weren't going away, trouble breathing, I didn't have any idea that there was something going on in my body. And that often is the case with cancer and other illnesses. Until there's symptoms, you don't know that maybe you've been living with something for a long time that's finally making its presence known. So the big wake up call for me has completely changed how I'm operating. I'm on a weight loss program. I'm drinking five liters of water a day. I'm taking supplements for inflammation and for replenishing my body. And strangely enough, with this condition, I now feel healthier than I have in years. I'm sleeping better than I ever have. I'm giving my body everything it needs. I'm getting up every morning. I'm doing a free weight workout, I'm going for a walk every day. It's unfortunate that sometimes we need that rug pulled out from under us for us to go, hey, it's time I did something about this. But I'm not doing it just to try to live longer. I'm doing it because I realized I was neglecting my health. My body had gone for a very long time working really well without getting everything it needed. And finally, all those cells just were like, well, screw you, lady. <laughs> we're not giving you anything else until you listen to us. And every cell in your body has consciousness. It's trying to teach you about what you need. It's They're talking to you. And the way we talk to our bodies, they're listening and they're cooperating with that. And they're very powerful they can put up with quite a lot of negligence for a long time before they come up short and say, we can't do this anymore. We're going to have to slow you down. So you mind the messages we're giving you. And this all gets me into the topic of epigenetics. Why do we get the diseases that we get? And I actually have posted this on my Facebook today, a really interesting article on the subject. And I've got some notes in front of me because I don't want you to miss any of this. So I'll start off by saying this. 
I grew up taking care of my mother through cancer. When I was 12 years old, she got her first cancer. I was 14 when she got her second one. So she had breast and cervical cancer. So here I was a young girl just starting to become a woman. And here's my mother getting the cancers that are attacking the very parts of her body that you know, were part of becoming a woman. It was a very unnerving time seeing her through chemo and radiation. And then I started to look at the history in our family of all the women who've had breast cancer. And interestingly enough, we don't have the genetics for it. Or at least I don't, because I've been tested. So I wanted to understand this. Why are all these women getting breast cancer when there doesn't seem to be a genetic component? Well, my mother was and is British, stiff upper lip kind of culture, very unemotional. The emotions are to be suppressed. And I would watch her get upset about things, but push it down inside. So what she had learned is don't express your feelings. Don't let up your anger. Women especially are taught not to be angry. So we see it as a negative emotion. Hold it down inside. And the problem with that is that your body is going to express this. If you think of yourself, your energy field like a river. When it flows from head to toe, it flows with ease. But if we go, whoa, I'm not going to express that emotion, that's seen as a negative in my family or in my society, I'm just going to push that down inside. It's like throwing a rock in the river. So you move from ease to dis-ease. And eventually your body, you know, which is an energy field that's highly intelligent, will have to do a rebalancing. And it's going to do that by encapsulating that emotion in the form of a tumor or other illnesses. It's going to create an expression of that blocked energy in such a way that you will have to face it. You will have to deal with it. Or you won't get to be in this physical form anymore. So I looked at the women in my mother's line of the family. I saw all that suppressed anger. And I realized I don't want to operate that way. I would really rather not have cancer. So I, and my mother had her first cancer at 35, and I'm now 58. So I've done a lot of work on being aware of am I withholding emotion? Am I not processing it? And all the sarcoidosis is, is fine tuning that with, yes, you have these emotions, but where are you perhaps not focusing in on them and working directly with them? You're aware of them, but you're not allowing them to come to consciousness so they can shift into a different kind of feeling. This is something I teach a lot, but of course, we all have our patterns. We all have our stuff we're working on. And now this is the way I get to work with this. And I feel like it's been visited upon me so that it also gives me tools to give other people dealing with similar conditions. So that all being said, I also wondered when I looked at what was going on with my mother, what were her precursors? What happened to her? Not just what she was taught in her family, what other things happened in your life that could create such physical repercussions? And I came across this amazing article. 
And it talked about how in 1864, near the end of the US Civil War, the Confederate prisoner of war camps just had terrible conditions. There was overcrowding, um, that basically the square footage each person had was the square footage of a grave. So if you can imagine, that's all the space you have, that's the degree of overcrowding, what that would do. Uh, prisoner death rates soared as a result. But for those who survived, the harrowing experiences marked many of them for life. So they returned to society with impaired health, worse job prospects, shorter life expectancy. What's interesting beyond that is the impact of these hardships had an effect on their children and on their grandchildren. And this appears to be have passed down through the male line of the family. Now I will say this, it is easier to study the male genetics in sperm than it is in the female egg. So they still don't have enough research on how things pass down through the female line, but one can draw conclusions based on the research done on males. So what they found is that the children, the offspring of these prisoners of war also had higher rates of mortality than the general population. But what's interesting is it's not carried on through a mutation in the genetic code itself. And this is what is really key to our discussion today, because a lot of times we think, well, if it's in my genes, I can try and live with it, cope with it, but I can't change it. And this is where epigenetics gets really interesting. So they found that events in someone's lifetime can change the way our DNA is expressed and how that change gets passed on to the next generation. So this is without modifying our DNA code. Instead, tiny chemical tags called chemoreceptors receptors are added or removed from the DNA in response to the environment in which we're living. And these can turn our genes on and off. And that therefore they can sh shift to set us up for disease or shift to set us up for wellness. So they did an experiment. They took mice and they bred the males and females together. Um, and what they did with the pups, the baby mice, is they set them up so that whenever they smelled the smell of cherry blossoms, they would shock their feet, the platform that they were on. So they would learn to associate that smell with a shock. Now, what's interesting is when they produced pups, they took their pups and had them raised by mice that weren't part of the experiment. And what they discovered with those pups, who now shouldn't really be getting any feedback from the adults where cherry blossom smells are concerned, the pups weren't afraid of the smell but they were hypersensitive to it. So they had gotten that sensitization from the shifts in those chemoreceptors from the parents, they inherited that. Now, what's interesting about that is it's not that the fear is passed down, just the sensitivity. So that says, that's not necessarily anchored in. And they found this was both you know, second and third generation could have this sensitivity. 
So when you think about it, fear creates an imbalance that pulls us away from the order of the universe. We're supposed to come into the world with a certain balanced field, but we can inherit an imbalance from previous generations. And I've known families where there's a sickness culture. Everybody in the family seems to get sick or has obesity issues. And it's, it's almost like it's just accepted. Well, that's the way we are. That's our genes. So this is why I want to throw something your way that's a different way of looking at this. So we know that you know, wars, famines, genocides can leave that epigenetic marker. Um, but what we don't know is that we can shift this. So what they did with the pups that had the sensitivity to cherry blossom is they took them through a desensitization process. So they helped these mice shift so that they would no longer be hypersensitive to the scent. They were unlearning their reaction to it. And that shows there's a certain malleability to the system. In other words, the dye is, is not cast. Just because we come into this world with a certain sensitivity or a certain tendency because of what our parents went through doesn't mean we have to carry that forward. We can break the cycle. And what's really fascinating is that what they discovered is once those pups were desensitized, those markers for that sensitivity didn't get carried to their pups. The cycle was broken. So whatever we are going through, when we look at our genetics, and if you're on 23andMe or anything like that, take your genetic markers with a grain of salt. Just because you have those genetic markers doesn't mean your offspring and theirs necessarily have to suffer the same. This is a great conversation to have with them, to look at why do I have this condition? What is it trying to tell me about myself? What can I learn and work on? And then share that learning with my offspring so that they can start working on these things on a conscious level and not necessarily have to manifest the physical. And hopefully if they do manifest the physical, it won't be as severe and they'll now have a tool to work with the condition. So when I look at how one can do that, you know, I think about, um, I've always had asthma. I've had that since I was a young kid. And for me, my sense is that that was a carryover from a past life experience. Um, uh, I have past life recall that haunted me in my dreams for most of my life. And I, that recall has triggered that for me. It's like, yep, that's, that's just my carryover from that experience. And in fact, um, there's a lot of research behind that where they see where they have been able to find recall, people being able to see a correlation between what's physically manifesting based on what happened in the past. And if we look at things like um, dissociative identity disorder, some personalities will have a condition like diabetes, another personality doesn't, one will need glasses, another personality doesn't. It just shows how much our expression of our physicality is malleable, is not grounded in 
well, this is my body and this is how it works. Not necessarily. And I love that that opens the door for us to explore this. I remember many years ago, I was sitting in bed one morning and I could feel my lungs tightening up. And I'm lying there going, oh, great, here we go. I must have some respiratory condition and now I'm gonna have asthma for months until my inhalers get control of it again. And I stopped myself and I said, well, hold on a second. Is that true? Or is this a signal for something, for some message I'm supposed to be getting? So I tuned in and the message I got was, you need to rest. Take a couple of hours, sit in bed and read a book. So I did. And after two hours, my lungs were fine. And that was the end of that. And we think about how rare is it that we can even comfortably do that? How often are you actually relaxed? How often do you kick back, do something that's not contributing to your workday or your family's well-being? How often do you sit and just relax and really let go? Our society is hypervigilant. We're acting most of the time like we're in traffic, looking for the next accident, looking for the next situation we have to pay attention to. We very rarely really let go. So for me, this condition, which lets me know just like that, if I tighten up, has made me really slow down and relax and change the pace of my life. And ironically, I'm getting more done. I, I'm sleeping better. I have more energy. I do more in my day, but I do it at a slower pace interspersed with true relaxation. So as soon as anything in me, especially at my chest, which is my signal, as soon as it tightens up, I go, oh, okay, what am I attaching to right now? What am I hanging on to? Where am I not letting go and letting the universe run the show? Because we don't run the show. We think we do. We're not in charge. I've always said, I get up in the morning with plans, and then the universe has other plans, and I go along with them. <laughs> and now I'm really having to live that, because my body will pull me up short just like that if I'm not centered, if I'm not relaxed. So I'm getting really chill these days. And so ironically, I'm feeling better than I have at any point in my life. Um, so I want to give you some tools to work with. I'm just going to quickly have a look at my notes, make sure that I haven't missed anything that I wanted to bring up to you. Yeah, so one of the things I want to get to is this. We tend to not be very compassionate with ourselves. We tend to beat ourselves up. We're always in judgment. I'm too fat, I'm too thin, I'm too tall, I'm too short, I'm too lazy, I, I'm too this, I'm not enough that. Um, we are very, very hard on ourselves. And for a lot of us, we grew up in performance environments. So as a child, some of you were lucky enough that there was no judgment. Your parents appreciated you, they gently encouraged you to do better, but you never felt like acceptance of you was based on performance. But for a lot of us, that's exactly the message that we got. So if as a child, you felt like I am more loved, I am more accepted if I, you know, do my chores, if I 
don't shout, if I don't show anger, if I don't show grief, if I get good grades, and then you went to school and it was all about getting good grades. So from a very, very early age, our society really praises performance. How often do you see things like be a winner? You can win at this. Winning implies there's also losing. It's all about competition. We are not in a society that says we're all going to get there together. And in fact, if anything, the current conditions with the pandemic have shown a lot of division where we're not all working together. Fortunately, a good 80% are, but there's a 20% that are being combative and that's coming out in all kinds of environments. You know, um, I flew to Ontario to visit my daughter and finally see my granddaughter. And I took all the precautions, I'm on the plane and I'm sitting next to two people who were very clearly wanting to pick a fight with me. And the energy of that was like a physical fight. And so I had to just not stand up for myself, look out the window for five hours and not join in. That is a level of fear in our society that stems from feeling helpless and not wanting to feel helpless. And so people taking action to fight against what is. And living in flow with the universe is acceptance of what is. Acceptance of everything around us, really looking to see it as how is this guiding me? I believe all of us chose to be on the planet at this time to have these experiences because we wanted to really fast track our spiritual development. COVID is an exercise in oneness. Knowing that your very breath can harm another means you have to be mindful. You have to think about what you do throughout your day. Have compassion for others. Have patience and compassion for yourself. Now carry that to your body. Can you accept it as it is? Can you accept the journey it's taking you on? That was my very first reaction. The moment I got my diagnosis, and I think it was kind of funny for the doctor because here I am at the hospital. They kept me for three days, did a bronchoscopy and a ton of tests. And the doctor comes in and he says, because at this point, my respirologist hadn't seen the results. He said, it's either lymphoma or sarcoidosis. Sorry, this is really serious. And I just went, okay. <laughs> I don't think it's the reaction he expected. And I'm sure it was probably a relief because how often are they having to give really bad news to people who can't have a support person with them? But I've lived my whole life like that. I've, I've lived my whole life accepting whatever's happening as part of the journey. My immediate reaction was, oh, so this is taking me on a journey. And that doesn't mean that I haven't had some tears. It doesn't mean I haven't had fear. Um, but it's trusting the universe, trusting my path. There is a purpose to this, which feels so much more peaceful than going, this shouldn't be happening to me. I shouldn't be having this experience. That thinking gets you nowhere because you are having that experience. It is happening. So I feel much better just to get on the wagon and go for the ride and see where it takes you. And as it takes you further down the path, whatever changes occur, including if it takes something away, what remains? You know, there's an expression, let what goes go, let what comes come. 
observe what remains. What is always there, no matter what is happening in your life, including what is happening to your body, what is always there? Consciousness. Consciousness by its nature is loving. I remember I had the delightful opportunity of talking to Ram Das a few years before he passed. And he's been my teacher since I was 13 years old and first took up meditation. And he gave me a mantra. He said, I am loving awareness. So think about that. I am loving awareness. That simple sentence encapsulates what it is to be balanced. I am loving awareness. I am this balanced energy that by its very nature is love. So if we introduce fear, anger, self-loathing, shame, guilt, we're introducing things to that field that the field won't accept. It won't incorporate it. It'll find a way to point out to you, hey, this isn't supposed to be here. Do something about this. Pay attention to it. Work with it. How do we do that? We love and accept the parts of us that are struggling because you are not struggling. Your limited ego consciousness is suffering. Remember, you are loving awareness. You are this field that is just light and love that's connected to the unified field that encompasses everything and everyone. It is simply love and light. It's not anything else. The ego thinks it's separate, doesn't know it's connected to the all. So it becomes afraid. It's afraid of not being accepted. It's afraid of abandonment. And it does everything it can in its power to try to feel like it belongs and it has no idea how to go about that. So it gets really stuck in that fear, that self-loathing, that self-hatred. It's like the Dalai Lama said, I don't understand this North American habit of self-loathing. You are Buddha nature. You are that loving awareness. How can you hate yourself? He, he can't see how that can be possible. So, you know, we have all these illnesses. We have all this imbalance because it's an expression of the imbalance within us. But your higher consciousness can help the part of you that is stuck in those patterns of fear, self-destruction, all that stuff. It's like parenting the part of you that is struggling. So remember, your higher consciousness, it's unflappable. It's fine. It knows it's, it's, divine energy expressing itself temporarily in human form. It's not worried about death and dying. It knows it always exists. It just manifests on the earth plane and goes back to the non-manifest, still retaining its consciousness, but in concert with the all. It knows this. It has no fear of abandonment. It has no fear of not being loved or accepted. How can love not be accepted? <laughs> it is love. So what you can do is you can start tuning in on the parts of you that are struggling and you can use your illness to do so. So might as well use me as an example. <laughs> um, when I feel the chest pain, and even though I do have a medication that controls it, and for the most part, I feel fine, 
when I feel it tightening up and what the sarcoidosis has done for me, because that's always been my signal when I'm off center, but because I have a very high pain threshold, something I've always had, it's the redhead in me, great genes that way. I've been able to tune it out a lot. So now I can't, and this is a good thing. So if I'm feeling that, it means it's pushing past what the medication is able to do, which is good. It means, you know, this is something that's really happening right now and I need to pay attention to it. So what I do is I close my eyes and I imagine that there's an opening where I'm feeling the pain or the discomfort. And I breathe as though I'm breathing in and out of that opening. What that does is it gets me out of any story in my head because your mind will always want to figure it out. So it'll go, oh, I must be having chest pain because of such and such. And, you know, when I'm dealing with clients, whether I'm in my office or I'm on Zoom with them, um, a lot of times they've been to the counselors, they've been to the psychologist, they've been to the psychiatrist, and they wonder why they're still stuck because none of them have ever talked to those parts. They're under the surface going, somebody gonna talk to me someday? Somebody gonna pay attention here? They've only ever talked to the dominant persona. So we wanna get past that. We wanna go deeper. We wanna work with the parts that are actually struggling. So you go in and you breathe. You're getting out of the story in your head. You're grounding yourself in your emotional self and your physical self. It's all about feeling, not thinking. The mind is just supposed to carry out the dictates of the heart. It's not supposed to run the show, contrary to North American ways of looking at things. So as you're getting more connected, connect first with the physical, really get into it. And this might mean that whatever discomfort you're used to screening out might become worse. But what's good about that is it will tend to trigger whatever emotional state is trying to get your attention. So if I'm breathing deeply into that feeling, I'm probably going to connect with fear. And anger is also just fear because we get angry at what we feel is threatening to us. You know, if something's irritating us, it's often, oh, I don't know if I can control that situation. So we start to tighten up. And when we tighten, by the way, we are actually pulling ourselves away from the abundance of the universe. The more we relax, the more the universe can give us exactly what we need. So as a little side note, as an example, um, I had something go wrong where I sent money to a wrong account and it didn't get credited on the account it was supposed to be. And I could feel the pattern that wants to get combative. Let's get this sorted right now. But I relaxed and I got on the phone and I talked to the company and I said, this is what's going on. Oh yeah, no problem. We could just move that from that account to this one, done. And that's what I've noticed is the softer I get, the more I relax, the more everything else in the world around me flows. If I tighten, things will tend to get stuck externally. Why? Because the external world is a quantum universe that reflects our own consciousness. If something in your external world is running into chaotic or stuck situations, it's because you're not looking at the chaos internally. You face that, everything out here changes. So going back in here, we're breathing into it. We're connecting with the physical sensation. And sit very still when you do this because movement disperses the energy. So yeah, I'm Italian, I talk with my hands. When you do this, sit real still. So you're breathing into it, you're connecting with the physical sensation. 
and then connect with the emotion. And when you really feel anchored in there, you really feel strongly connected with all the feelings, physically and emotionally. And hey, if you find yourself crying or feeling rage, go for it. Feel what you're feeling. Don't try to suppress the expression of it because what you're doing is you're creating space for that part of you to surface and move back into flow. And it may flow right out of you. What you're learning to do here is to accept and love and have compassion for yourself. So if you got messages as a kid, boys don't cry or don't cry, I'll give you something to cry about or stop being angry, whatever the messages you got, those weren't helpful to your equilibrium. So part of you undoing those messages is for you not to carry that pattern on to your inner parts. Because that's what we usually do. We get instilled within us whatever we learned. And then we bully those parts of ourselves the same way we were intimidated as children. So with compassion, you are lovingly observing the part of you that's struggling. And as you physically and emotionally tune in on that, ask your psyche for an image of yourself at the age the pattern started. And trust the first image you get. Now, if you do this exercise often enough, because we exist in layers, you're going to get different ages at different times. These are just parts of you going, cool, somebody's created an environment in which I can step in and introduce myself. So let that part come forward. You might even envision, if you have trouble envisioning things, you might envision you're in a room and a door opens and that part comes into the room. Now, interact with it in the most loving and supportive way you can. If it's an infant, you know, I, I the first time I created this technique, I walked into a room and saw myself at the age of two in a crib crying and nobody coming to me. So in my mind's eye, I walked into that room and I picked her up and I put her on my shoulder. And I said to her, I am your future self letting you know you've survived this. I'm here to take care of you now. I love you. You deserve every good thing in life. And my feeling at the time, which was one of having been abandoned, shifted to a feeling of warmth and belonging. Now, children need repetition. So it's not like you do this once and go, that part of me is done, moving on. You know, that's a big problem I find with a lot of new age techniques. Oh, I can help you release that emotion. I can help you get rid of this. And then people wonder why these problems keep surfacing because I don't think that's the approach at all. It's integration. Every aspect of you, including the parts that are sad, that are angry, that are scared, that feel shame, feel guilt, they all deserve to be part of the journey. They have some of your wisdom and insight. They have some of the energy you need to walk your path. So when you're tuned in, if it's a part of you that can verbalize, you might still want to give that part a hug or invite them to sit on your knee, whatever feels appropriate. It's your parts. So trust that you know how to work with them. Don't turn this into telling those parts, you're okay. That is still a form of suppression. That's not allowing them to express themselves to you. If your chemo receptors are expressing themselves as disruption in the body, you wanna shift that to these parts of your psyche expressing themselves directly to you so the body doesn't have to keep doing the job for them. So you might say to that part, what do you need from me? 
what do you need me to know that I'm not seeing? How can I be there for you? And sometimes these are little kids and they might need something a kid would want to have. And if you went through a childhood where it was all about performance, you might never have really played. I was two minutes away from giving a talk on a stage one day and I'm on eBay placing the winning bid on a Holly Hobby doll, which they don't make anymore. So it was a $70 doll because my inner 11 year old wanted it because I had one when I was a child and it symbolized a certain hominess that didn't exist in my household. And she wanted that energy back. And having that externalized in my home, something that part can pick up, tuck under her chin and feel just safe and loved. It says to that part of me, I love you so much. I will externalize something in my environment just for you. Sometimes your three-year-old will want to go for ice cream or watch a kid's movie. What's beautiful about doing this work is, yes, some parts of you, as they become more conscious, will come to realize I'm in an adult body. This is a different reality. I now have other choices. And I can take the energy that's been churning on that anger or fear or grief for decades and now use it in a happy, constructive way. That'll happen. But other parts may decide, I quite like being a kid. And now I get to be a kid who gets to play. And you have this fun, spontaneous, playful aspect or aspects of you that your family, your partners, your coworkers will love. Because we're missing a lot of that in our society. And it pulls us down. So everything in your body is trying to make you more conscious, trying to point out where you are down, where you are suppressed, and where you need to start to lift those parts up into the light, not to push them up, but to say, hey, I've created this space for you. It's like looking down into an oubliette. They're sitting down there with no way out, and you've created an opening. You said, I'm going to help you up into the light, and I'm going to give you everything you need for you to feel loved and supported. And it's such a remarkable thing when you feel that you have the power to go from feeling alone, abandoned, uncared for, judged. And when you stop doing that to those parts, because it's usually us judging them, and then we think everybody else is judging us, you switch to feeling loved, lovable, supported. Not only do you feel better in and of yourself, but it also invites more loving interactions from the world around you. You know how when you're having an awesome day, maybe you've just started dating somebody and you're in love and it just seems like the whole world is nicer. Why? Because you're emanating that higher frequency and people are responding to it. You know, I remember one time, you know, living in Kelowna and I felt like traffic, I don't know what your experience is. My traffic experience is wonderful. People let me in, we wave at each other. It's very nice. And I was flying into Toronto. This is quite a few years ago. And people are like, oh, God, you're going to have to deal with Toronto traffic. I'm driving from the airport and everybody's waving and smiling at me and letting me in. That was my reflection. That was the universe I was creating around me. So when you are more loving to yourself, not only are you vibrating at a higher frequency of being loving 
That's why everybody wants to hang out with the Dalai Lama. He's his bubbling fountain of joy. And everybody else's energy fields calibrates to his. They're all lifted up by being near him. We can do the same thing. It also means that when you know you're lovable, you will let in more love. So if you have a partner who's loving and you normally have some walls up, you're going to start to let those walls down. You'll feel more loving towards your offspring. You'll feel more compassionate towards that difficult coworker who you don't know why they're having a bad day, but now you're not just pissed off at them. Maybe there's a little bit of anger because we're human, but there's a curiosity now. I wonder what their issue is. It, it reminds me of a time where I entered a workspace. I was newly working there and I was warned about this woman at the office and what a difficult person she was. And just like shifts in our chemoreceptors carry things down to other generations, it's the same thing in society. Other people's perceptions can color our own. So I walk into the office and I see this woman and she's wearing a very smart suit, like a nice skirt and jacket. And I just look and said, that is a really beautiful outfit. And I genuinely meant it. I think we don't notice beauty enough in our world and compliment people enough. So I made that comment and she just lit right up. And over time, people would make comments about her. And I'd say, you know what? We don't know what's going on in her life, that this is coming to work with her. But something, my sense is something's going on. So I always say, be nice to everybody you meet because you never know where the ripples go. So about a year later, I was dating this fellow and his daughter was friends with this girl. And it turns out the girl's mother was this woman who used to work at my office. I'd since left that office and moved on. And I imagine she had too. And it turns out that she'd been going through a very nasty divorce at the time that I had met her. And now she was with a wonderful man and my guy and I got invited to her wedding. <laughs> so you never know where things go, but the more we can build compassion for ourselves, which actually helps us build compassion for others, the kinder, more aware world we live in. And that's very important factor too. If you are turned inward with self-hatred, you don't have enough energy to put out here. And if you're trying to give to others just to like yourself more, you're actually going to resent the things you do for others because it's not coming from a genuine place. You're not checking in with yourself and saying, is it my path to help this person? Is the energy there to help this person? Sometimes we're helping people when really somebody else was supposed to take that role, or maybe they were supposed to work through it on their own, but we're going to put that energy out so we can like ourselves. Do you see how just going inward and learning to love and accept yourself means that you start to really listen and you start to walk your original path. You do the things you're meant to do because you sense that's what you're supposed to do. You end up in the right place at the right time doing what you're supposed to do. And because you know you deserve love, you can allow in the people, the opportunities, and the resources that you need to live your full life. Now, I am on the Zoom, and I can't see if there are any questions or comments coming through. So, Shauna, if there are, uh, I don't know if you want to put anything in chat, I'd be happy to respond with the time that I have left. Um, and I just want to thank uh, everybody who's tuning in now, who's tuning in later. Um, and certainly, if there's anything 
I can do to support you on your journey. I do get a lot of people who come in and they say to me, I just feel lost. I have no idea what my next step is. Personally, if you feel lost, that is an awesome place to be. The ego only knows how to look for patterns. So it says that, um, you know, I'm going to go here and I'm going to go there because this is what I've seen before. So to go somewhere new, you have to feel lost. You have to let go of everything you think you know about yourself and where you're going and what's next and what your next action is so that you can actually allow up something new to arise from your consciousness. Have to just let go. So when people come to me and say they're lost, I tune in on their subconscious and it tells me what's going on, what their patterns are they need to work on, what their next step is, and I give them the tools to work with. So they come away not only knowing what's happening inside of them, but what they need to do next. Now, I also have clients who come to me to do ongoing work. So they buy one of my discounted packages and whenever it feels appropriate to them, we meet. In fact, I've had clients say, you know, when they go to book their next session, I don't know why I'm here. I know you'll tell me. They just sensed it was time for another session. I tune in on their subconscious and it tells us what we're working on next. So they learn to be guided by their subconscious. And the more they work with me, the more, because I'm giving them tools, you know, the less they actually need me because they learn how to be their own psychic. They learn how to tune in on themselves. So what I've given you today is a way in, you know, one way in to start working with those patterns. I have other ways of helping those patterns come to more consciousness and integrate more deeply. And this can be, you know, affects your personal life, your professional life. Are you showing up in the work you're actually here to do? Are you able to put that out to the world the way you need to? Do you have enough energy to attract what you need? Because if you're suppressing parts of yourself, it's very hard to get what you need because it's like being a flickering light in a room full of blow torches, right? You want to have all the energy for your expression. Illness isn't trying to keep you from having any energy. It's just trying to slow you down long enough to get you to look at what you're not seeing. Now, sometimes we've pushed ourselves so hard and blocked so much, it slows us down to the point where we end up in a hospital and maybe even hospice. It doesn't mean that we can't work on ourselves. I've worked with people in hospice who've done some truly amazing, powerful, beautiful work on themselves as they're getting ready to leave for their next experience. Ideally, we would like to be able to become more conscious sooner, but it's not a race. Again, it's not about winning. It's not about powering through. It's mostly about letting go and becoming receptive to the information bubbling up from our subconscious through the body, through the emotions, through the subtle energy shifts that we feel, through our dreams, through our interactions with others. Every moment is the universe trying to awaken us. It's why we chose to be here. It's what we're all here to do. Can we embrace it or are we going to fight it? My suggestion is don't fight anything. Thank it for teaching you and ask more deeply 
the right questions and the answers will come. I leave you with that. Thank you so much for being here and listening in and just know I'm, I'm here for you on the journey.